Welcome to the first ever podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Bohm. This is episode six, which is my favorite number, so I figured I'd ask one of my favorite people to come on, Nick Steinhardt. As a lot of you realized, he's the guitar player in my band, Touche Amore. But beyond that, he's a renowned graphic design artist who has, uh, aside from doing all the Touche stuff, has designed album artwork for bands like Deaf Heaven, most notably the Sunbather cover, and artists spanning Katy Perry, Pink, Britney Spears, Tom Petty, Cher, City in Color, Jimmy Eat World, Rustin Kelly, the list goes on and on. You know those people that you can just like hand an instrument or a tool to and within moments they figured out how to use it or play with it? He's one of those. But maintains such humility that you can't help but love the guy. He's got one of the strongest work ethics that I've ever seen, and I'm honored to share such a close space with him for as long as I have, whether it's in a van or otherwise. I love this conversation, and I hope you do too. This is the first ever podcast. Nick, thanks for being here. Of course. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's not as if we don't talk all day. Absolutely. All every day. day. <laughs> <laughs> we might as well just end this conversation with talking about a uh, release schedule for the next single or why or not? <laughs> just add just add management to this podcast and then they can <laughs> yeah, then, yeah, give everyone the, the real experience. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it's funny like uh with with doing this podcast i've been mentioning that you know even the people that i've known the longest in my life there's still so many things that i don't think i know the full story of so that's been a big part of uh i guess the enjoyment of doing this mm-hmm. um so that being said uh i don't know if i you know some of these questions I, I truly don't know if i'm if i'm fully aware um when you were younger what were you more interested in first was it music or art um, it's funny. They, they really did come together around the same time. Um, like basically my dad had a guitar and when he would come home from work, that was when I would just like pull it out of the case and like bang on it while he was like getting ready for dinner or whatever. And he always exposed me to music. Um, and I started taking guitar lessons shortly after, I think around age six. And just before that was when I started taking art classes. So it's, it's, it's hard to separate like which piqued my interest first because it was more you know i'd be drawing or banging around on a guitar and my parents were like oh like maybe we should get him in classes or lessons or something interesting did did your dad uh it's funny to call him your dad not just alan yeah uh did uh did your dad play in bands before or was it just like a, a thing that he played around with just as you know as anyone else who just doesn't take music too seriously does no, he he had a guitar. I don't know if he ever took lessons when he was younger, but he always had an acoustic guitar. I don't particularly remember him playing it a ton. Uh, maybe just like a, a few open chords. Um, but when he was younger, he wanted to be a DJ. He's always been super, super into music um, and just ended up in law probably because that was a more viable career. Uh, but um yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What I'm, kind of music was was like? What kind of music was being played in the house when you were young? Like, what what was your dad or and your mom into? Um, my mom, I remember always listening to like Phantom of the Opera and um, not show tunes, but she she always had Phantom of the Opera on and like Greek music and Julio Iglesias. I remember. Um, <laughs> okay. And my dad, he. He had, I'm trying to remember stuff from when I was really young, but one, one of them was Melissa Etheridge. And that was actually like what got me to start playing guitars. He took me to go see her and I was like, oh, that looks cool. 
Um, right, right, right. Yeah, the cl- the classic first concert as M- Melissa Etheridge that you've you've worn as a badge of honor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is great. Um, but yeah, he, I mean, he had he had a bunch of LPs. I don't I don't remember anything specifically in the house. I remember more in the car, and that was also influenced by my brother being like four and a half years older. So we just probably listened to K Rock and KLOS um, between, um, you know, kind of toggling between those. Did your brother have any interest in art or music like uh, comparable to you or was he was he like a sports kid? I can't remember. Yeah. So he he was the outdoor kid that like broke his arm doing stuff and playing sports. And I was the <laughs> indoor kid that was like watching him do that and being like, I don't, I don't want to break bones. Uh, <laughs> so um, but coincidentally, so I, I started taking lessons, I think at age six. And I don't remember at what point, but my dad also started taking lessons from the same teacher. And then my brother did too. So it was like three in a row on Saturday afternoons. Wow. Um, but my brother's what lessons weren't as, um, like he didn't take them for quite as long as me and my dad did. Um, but he was, he was interested in music, but not, not really art. Do you remember what it, what the first experience you had with connecting to art in any way? Like, was that, was there a certain, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not format, but you know, like whether it was like watercolors or, or this or that, you know, like what was that a medium? That's what I was looking for. Oh. That's the word. Um, <laughs> was there a certain medium that you were attached to when that you like found yourself interested in as a kid? Well, it definitely started with drawing and that was probably just from, you know, cartoons and comic books like Ninja Turtles and X-Men being on the TV. Um, so I would just draw that kind of stuff. Um, but when I started art classes, there was sort of almost like a curriculum you moved through, but it was, it was a little bit loose. Um, but you started with drawing and pastel and then moved into watercolor and then acrylic and then oil. So it's sort of like in level of difficulty, although watercolor is pretty difficult. Um, but those like the, the arc that I'm talking about was probably from age five to 13. Mm, Okay. I, it's funny. I took my, my parents put me in an art class, uh, like an like you know an outside of school art class. I can't remember what age it was. It was probably the same age you're talking about, like maybe seven, eight, or something like that. When I thought maybe I'd be good at this, and I definitely wasn't. Um, mm-hmm. But I I remember I remember watercolor being so difficult because for me it would just soak the page instantly. You know? Yeah, like and it's yeah you can't blend um, it. Like I mean, I know you, and you're kind of a perfectionist. I'm a little bit that way, but you're trying to get like a smooth gradation of color and all of a sudden it dries and there's a harsh line between blue and red or pink or whatever. And you're like frustrated because you can't really go back over it or blend it anymore. Exactly. It just looks blotchy yeah, and bad. Yeah, exactly. That was it. And, and with, with that sort of perfectionist attitude, if I have one of my biggest problems is that if I can't figure it out in a relatively quick way, I'm fucking done. I'm just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I was like, this is not for me. I'm bad at this. I don't want to go to these art classes anymore. <laughs> like, totally. Kind of a thing. It, it's been so long since I've done anything like physical like that, like, like painting. But I remember like going through this program and getting to oils and doing them a little bit, but realizing I liked acrylic more. Maybe it was easier to blend or something. Oils like stay wet really long. And I remember like there being some difficulty with that. So at what point was there or was there a point when you were at the exact same time, like having guitar lessons and having art classes like competing? And and was there ever did you ever get the feeling that you were leaning harder into one or was it just like something to do? No, um, like literally every Saturday from 
again, age five to six through 13, I was doing both at the same time. And um, I didn't really feel myself leaning one way or the other. It was like an hour in the morning at art and an hour in the afternoon at guitar. Um, And then I'd say probably in high school, I think I started phasing out the art classes and um, I actually ended up being a student teacher assistant for their summer classes. So basically like the owner of the studio was like, Hey, let me know when you turn 15 and you can get a work permit so that you can come work for me. And I would be like the assistant for, there were like summer workshops where it's like one week is animation, one week is sculpture, one week is portraiture, blah, blah, blah. And I would, um, you know, like help the kids out because I had done basically every summer I did two sessions of each of those courses to fill time instead of like sports camp. Right. Did you, and at what age did you start? What's was, uh, so the band that I met you in when you were in was, was Tiptoe Charlie's was, yeah. was that band started yet? Or was there a band that you were in before Tiptoe Charlie's? No, it, that was the first like actual band. I played music with like a couple of random kids, like in an informal way before that, but we started playing in eighth grade. So when we were like 12. Right. And that was with, uh, our friend Dewey. Um, yeah, he was Cuff. in the original. Oh, well, so it was, it was the same, the same two kids. Yeah. We, we had an original drummer, I think for like three months. Okay. Okay. Um, and so was there a point for you where you were looking at art in high school as a potential future? Um, and were looking at music as just something to do, or was there one that did you ever have the feeling of like, I want to try to really go for it in this lane as opposed to this lane? Or was it always just, I can handle both of these things at the same time? Um, I, I always had a, a feeling that music wasn't a viable career. <laughs> I may still have sure. that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> um, but <laughs> you don't say, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think it was mostly that was sort of encouraged by my parents. Like, you know, when I was getting into art, when I was a kid, my parents would expose me to all that stuff. Um, I knew that there were like great art schools around the corner and there was lots of different fields. Like, and this, again, this is sort of like a product of our environment and what was going on at the time. Like I was into cartoons when I was a kid, like you can do animation. Um, I don't know if you remember celebrity Deathmatch and like oh, yeah. nightmare yeah. before Christmas and all that stuff. And it's like, oh wow. Like you like using Sculpey, like that's a field 3d, uh, you know, uh, claymation. And, you know, I always felt like art, I think had a lot of different practical applications i guess career-wise versus music is sort of like you make it or you don't um so that's why i chose to to study art i wouldn't say i like focused in one over the other but music i think was always just like something i enjoyed and never really expected to take off or really do anything were your parents always just supportive of you diving into art or was there ever was there any questions of like um you know maybe maybe think about this other career path in case this doesn't work or was it always just 100% supportive of the art? No, it was a hundred percent supportive. I think, I think again, like back to the career motivated stuff, like, you know, like you, I had other friends that were older and like went on DIY tours and did stuff like that. And that's something I definitely would have wanted to do post high school, but I don't think my parents would have been too supportive of that. Mm, Like not going to school and just risking it all and getting in a van and being dangerous. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of that, yeah, yeah that that apprehension definitely came from my parents. Yeah, it's it's certainly not something a parent is ever ever excited to hear. You're like, oh, really? You're just gonna not go to college, and you're gonna get in a crummy van and do that for yeah, the who, summer? 
Who are these kids you're surrounding yourself with again? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How many of them have college degrees? Yeah. <laughs> so. And also, I remember just from music subculture, this is funny because I talk to my mom about this stuff all the time now. Like, I would never say she's like conservative or um, strict necessarily, but she definitely had like preformed opinions on like what I would call like punk looking kids. And um, I remember distinctly in high school, I had a friend that was like Liberty Spikes, painted jacket, like Misfits t-shirt. And like, I think she just assumed because he looked that way that he, that meant he was like a delinquent and did drugs. And I remembered like explaining to her what straight edge was. I was like, no, there's this other subsect of like kids that look like that, that are like anti. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. I remember, I remember telling my mom about, you know, when I decided to become straight edge and I was like, oh, this is going to make her so stoked. Like she doesn't have to worry about any of this, but she still somehow found a worry about it later, you know, like later (laughs) in life. She's like, she's like, is it, She's like, I mean, you're still, are you still the straight edge thing when, you know, I'm because I remember we were going, you know, it was when I was still being forced to go to church. And one of my favorite, I feel like I may have told you this story before, but like one of my favorite quotes that she ever said that I just made fun of her about forever was <laughs> it was like during communion. Uh, or So when you do when you would do communion, there'd always be um, the wine, but then on the side, grape juice. Right. Okay. And I learned later in life, I was like, oh, it's probably if someone's an alcoholic or, you know, who knows what the reason is. But I'd always take the grape juice. And I remember we got back in the pew. My mom was like, you don't have to be straight edge for Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Even though you were definitely underage when you went to church. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It was just a funny. <laughs> it was the funniest thing. I remember when you told me you don't have to be straight edge for Jesus. <laughs> That needs to be like a marketed t-shirt or something. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You can make a it's, you might be able to make a lot of money actually. Yeah. It, it uh straight edge it almost, for Jesus t-shirt. It almost sounds like a uh it it almost sounds like a like a like a song title from, you know, like a curl up and die or like oh, yeah. a, one of those sort of bands, one of the long, long song title names. Like snarky long song title era. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um but uh okay, so when um so if your parents were your parents were super supportive and that's that's super awesome. I'm I'm that's such a blessing. I I don't know if that's something you ever thought about as you got older just oh, yeah. that yeah. I can only imagine. Yeah. Um it's, it's fun cuz like they not yeah. only were they supportive then but they just love hearing about all this stuff now. So it's like you know I I you know I like just giving them a call or telling them what's going on and they're they're also just like super invested in what all my friends are doing. Like they just think it's so fascinating. I think because they both had more traditional careers. My mom was a kindergarten teacher for 35 years. My dad still is an attorney. So like they're like fascinated by like us younger kids being able to like make things work, you know, in creative arenas. I always think about this with friends that do art actually. Um, Just to go back a little bit. Mm -hmm. Do you remember, do you remember what, do you remember the first time you drew something and you realized, for lack of a better term, you were good at it. I think that was more my mom. She she remembers like seeing me drawing a Ninja Turtle and asking like, "Oh, did you trace that?" And I was like, "No, I you know I like looked at this thing." And um, I think that was her spark. Like again, because she was a kindergarten teacher, she was used to being around kids that age and trying to like notice and nurture something that they were good at. Or um, so I think that was just part of her like her nature. Oh, he he drew this really well. Maybe we should further that. Okay. And was the, do you remember how, like what were, how do I phrase this? Um, with the art classes that you were taking outside of school, was that, 
something your parents just looked up in a, in like the you know the yellow pages like oh art school or was it through like a family friend do you remember what that circumstance was i don't i i don't know if they it was local so maybe they just knew of it or heard about it um but yeah it was called kids art it was a local it was a chain like i think there was one in the one i went to was in northridge and i think there was one in tarzana and la Cunada, um maybe a couple others okay but, Got it. Had to have been something they were able to just look up and then go and not, it wasn't like a thing you interviewed for, but I'm sure they met the instructors and saw like the class being full and like kids being excited. And we're like, oh, this might be good. Okay. Yeah. I, I guess the reason I thought, thought of that is because I look at your parents as being so, you know, uh, like that I, I know you, you, you meet some parents, you're like, I know for a fact that like they wanted the absolute best for you, you know? Sure, so sure. I could, I'm wondering how, like if they went through a whole, like, you know, visited 40 different schools to look for the best one kind of <laughs> situation, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> I, if I had to guess, I would say no. Um, they probably, I don't know, maybe they heard of a couple, but I, yeah, I don't know if they went super crazy on that. And like, you know, similarly, like with guitar lessons, um, the guy that ended up teaching me from six to 18 was like the brother of the guy that worked at guitar center that sold my dad, my first guitar. Like mm, that just ended wow. up working out great, but there wasn't like a whole insane research into like a music Academy. He was like a eighties hair metal dude that just ended up being amazing. Got it. It's funny with interviewing you. It's like, I have, you know, there's obviously two different lanes. It's like the, the music and the art mm -hmm. that I could go down. So when, when you started playing guitar, what was your first guitar? Um, it was a, it was an off-brand acoustic. I don't remember. I don't even remember what the name of it was. I still have it in my garage. Um, it's like, you know, it's like a small scale, like four kids. Was it your choice to get an acoustic or did you want an electric? Was there that conversation? Um, I don't remember the conversation. I definitely wanted an electric, especially after seeing my guitar teachers like slime green Jacksons with like the reverse <laughs> headstock. I was like, right. whoa. And they were a lot easier to play. Um, so the, I got an electric pretty shortly after, maybe a year into it, but it was probably just like, a, oh, this is a basic thing you start on and we'll see if he uh, wants to pursue it. Sure. Do you remember what the first songs you learned were? Um, it was probably Melissa Etheridge, a lot of open chords. Okay. Like he, one, one thing I really loved about that teacher is he always, he didn't have like a curriculum you needed to follow. It was like, he would kind of figure out what you were into and use that as a way to teach. So Again, if it was a song, he was like, oh, okay, great. Like, this song's all open chords. I'll teach him about open chords. Or, you know, this song has a guitar solo that's in a minor key. Like, I'm going to use that as a lesson to teach him how to, like, write lead guitar parts that are within a, a chord. Wow, that sounds like a really great teacher. <laughs> yeah, he was amazing. The, yeah, that teacher, that, the teacher that I had was was the most by-the-book, couldn't have made it more boring kind of guitar teacher, which just uh, completely alienated me from wanting to pursue it you know it was like yeah. lesson one how to tune your guitar lesson two mm -hmm. like e a d maybe or something you know and then by yeah, the fourth yeah, yeah. one it was like here's how you read music and i was like i'm done like <laughs> this yeah is yeah yeah he never taught me to read music because it's not like you know i'm not gonna say it's not usable but for a guitar it's not quite as applicable to me as like a piano a piano is a series of notes and they don't repeat guitar you can play the same octave of the same a note a few different places on the neck so it's a lot more about i guess like patterns and how you keep your hand and shapes um so he you know it's like i learned i learned theory in a roundabout way but not really like uh framed as theory i guess if that makes sense 
Got it. Yeah, it's it's funny, like between talking to friends, even on between this and just throughout the years, so many people have the guitar teacher story where they're like, oh, yeah, they they asked me to bring in some songs that they like and they taught me how to play them. And I'm like, that's such a better way to do this. Like, cause it's, it's keeping their interest and it's, and it's showing them that they're capable of doing these things. Um, yeah. As opposed to just making it feel like a class. No, it was, his was super tailored. And you know, obviously that changed as I got older cause I got into different bands, but also he would hear something. I mean, kind of like a producer does these days. It's like, he would, I would play him a song by some band I found. And he was like, Oh, like this kind of sounds like this band from 25 years earlier. And then he would like expose me to something else. And I mean, he even like, you know, when I was in my first bands, he would kind of come to our rehearsals and show us how to play to a click and like teach us what we were doing wrong and like help us record and stuff. It was amazing. Damn. That's, that is super awesome. I forget. Is he, is he still alive? Yeah. Yeah. He's around. Um, he actually, I hit him up, I guess in the last year and he, he came by and we just like hung out in the backyard and like caught up for a while. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. What yeah. is he, is he still teaching? He is. Yeah. He was, he was kind of like bemoaning to me that just kind of the waning interest of like, you know, in general in quotes, kids these days, mm-hmm. um, where like he said, one kid was like, just so uninterested. And he like made some remark about like, music is dumb. Like you should make apps. Oh my God. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> That's it's kind of tight in a way. <laughs> like, it's I'm just thinking like rich kid in Bel Air, like dad's sure. like, you should play guitar. And the kid's like, oh, whatever. I'm going to be like the next, you know, Twitter or whatever. Right. Oh, my God. You should make apps. It's perfect. It's yeah. yeah. so good. Um, Jesus Christ. Uh, so. At what so if you're so going back to art you're mm-hmm. you're trying all these different mediums you're doing you know did you did you make car did you ever like try making a cartoon because i remember in high school there was like an i had like an animation class mm-hmm. um did you ever try anything like that yeah um i did like flip books and like do you know what a zoetrope is is that the, the thing you spin yeah it's like a wheel it? and there's like a little yes. slit you watch it through yes um, we did some stuff like that in those art classes and then um as i got older actually i don't remember how old i was but i definitely tried to do stop motion with my dad's old camcorder like with like clay figures and um like action figures and stuff and then um do you remember flash like the web program oh yeah um i made some flash animations like at some point in like later in middle school or high school um so i got like a little bit of a feel for that i think animation was something i had wanted to do before I study or before I like found graphic design and like found kind of a more direct tie into the music stuff. You know, so I was thinking about this recently with, with flash and I don't know if you've, I don't think you and I've ever talked about this. Do you remember, I forget, did you have any interest in Slipknot when they came out? Did, did that connect to you at all? Did you think about it at all when they first were emerging? At that point I was just into like whatever was on the radio. So like I had probably like weight and bleed and like sugar on a mix CD okay you know <laughs> uh, yeah yeah yeah. surface so, level so, involvement in like new metal in like new metal, metal. Yeah, yeah exactly you're like i'm aware of what system of a down and slipknot are um yeah i liked it i just never like had their records probably because they were parental advisory i'd be curious to look this up and and if anyone listening knows this for a fact uh feel free to make a comment or whatever but the i remember slipknot when they first were coming out like when there was the hype building about what this band is 
they had the first flash website that I ever saw. Hmm. And I'm what and it it felt I think it in a weird way added to the mystery and the excitement about them. Cause I remember going to the website and it, you know, I'm sure at this point it would look super archaic, but like it had, you know, like the, the website was flashing and it had a sample playing in the background and it would just like flash the symbol and stuff like that. And I remember just being like, Oh my God, this is the, this is the craziest, scariest looking website, you know, yeah, yeah. kind of a thing. And, um, I'm wondering if they were, if they had some designer, uh, at the label that was, you know, ahead of the curve on, doing something to sort of like build that anticipation. But um, that was my first experience ever seeing flash just being like, holy shit, like this is uh, this is like the, a, a new wave of what the Internet can do. Totally. Yeah, I got I got pretty heavy into that in high school, um, like doing that kind of stuff for other bands. I just never. And that was like through oh God, people are going to fucking judge me so hard. That was like through like JavaScript. Is that correct? Is that like what you built it through? I never understood. No. It. it just seems so confusing to me. Um, I never knew any JavaScript, but Flash was its own program. It was like made. Oh. I think it was called like Mac- Macromedia before Adobe bought it. Again, don't quote me on that, but sure. Um, it was like its own program, much like Photoshop, where you just loaded it up and you drew shapes and you had like a timeline and you animated things but you could also create websites within that but like with short little animated clips like kind of in the way that um there's like a different state for a button if you're hovering over it or if you've already clicked on it you could like make those their own bits of animation if that makes sense yeah so you so once you graduated high school you how were you in you because you went to cal arts here in Mm -hmm. california um did you start immediately or did you take any time off between high school and starting at CalArts? No, I went, I went straight in. Straight in. Okay. And while you were working at Cal or working while you're going to school in CalArts, I remember you, were you, would you call it interning or what were you doing for Hydrahead? Yeah, I was interning. Um, I was helping their designer, James do things like stickers and, um, like kind of like promo stuff. And at some point, again, back to Flash, this is funny because it seems so old at this point, but um, I made all of their like web media players for when they were like streaming a release. Right. Um, So I would take like all the art assets and build it into like a little website that had like some scrolling motion or something going on for it. Right. That's that's what I was remembering, because I remember uh, at that time, like Deathwish did those two. Mm. Um, like it'd be like a pop-up window that had some of the art from it and then it would just play like a track, right? That was kind of what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had completely forgotten about that until this minute. (laughs) (laughs) I remember, I mean, I remember when Deathwish had that, that was the, that was the way I heard dead Ramones from modern life is war the first time. Like they they had just, you know, sort of incorporated that media player. And again, it was one of those things where, you know, I feel like at this point we're so, I don't think anything on the internet can excite anyone anymore or with, with like, you know, like a newfound way to present something, you know, I, we're I sure going to damn like, try. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah, I remember, I remember the pop-up window and then, you know, I, I had already liked modern life is worst first record, but when they, you know, put that up and that was the first time hearing dead Ramones, I, I was just, I was sold. I was like, ah, I need this right now. Yeah. Um, did, uh, and for those listening, Hydrahead is is uh, Aaron Turner from from uh, ISIS, uh, the band um, <laughs> is <laughs> his label. Um, and they're here out of and at that point, they were out of California here because they had moved from the East Coast. I don't yeah. even know what year that was. 
Um, I was interning for them in 2005 or six, but I think they had moved to LA prior to that and maybe been in like an office shared office with a few other labels. And your connection to working for Hydrahead was through Dewey, right? Yeah. So we, we were both like fans of the label and I think I had seen a post that they were looking for interns and Dewey ended up getting it. And that was like, you know, mailing out promo orders and just doing general like office stuff. And then at some point he mentioned that their designer could use some help. Got it. And for background for people listening, Dewey is is Nick's longtime best friend who he played uh, in his first band with. And even uh, I approached Dewey to 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 play bass in Touche. And uh, and Nick was like, he's not going to he's he's not going to show up to practice. I'll just do it. And that's why. And that's how Nick is in Touche. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's done a fair amount of our demos, the um, make doing men, a lot of spute splits. True, true. Um, he's still he's still heavily involved. Right. Yeah. Guitar tech. Yeah, def- <laughs> right. <laughs> he played bass for like two shows, uh, I think. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And as seen in the Dead Horse X book that came out last year, if anyone doesn't have it. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah a, tr- a true legend, a true yeah. legend, this man. Um. So would you sit now? I, I don't know if I have this timeline put together. Would that be your first graphic design job in the music industry doing the Hydrahead thing? Yes, unless you count like just doing a CD layout for a band. That's so I mean, that's what I was getting at, because you a lot of people probably don't know this, but like is the first two releases that you did uh, a faceless album and the stick to your guns album were those the first two yeah i believe so i there may have been one between um but yeah i'm pretty sure that's it wow okay because yeah i was curious which one which one i guess came first if or if they were all just sort of jumbled around the same timeline and and i'm curious was first it was okay yeah got it got it and you when you did that i mean our friend jeff sang for the band at the time like I don't think anyone would have expected it to become what they what they became where like, yeah. a, you know, they became a, a full on real band. Um, does uh, did you have any experiences doing those first couple layouts that excited you or like in a way where you're like, oh, I, f- I feel like I can make a career out of this or was that not even in your head yet? I think that was always the goal. Um, but back then it was more like you know, I was exposed to so much art through music, like, you know, buying records for the cover and like, you know, all the bands that we were into had super cool art. Um, So I think it was more of like, I want to do this and I understand it, but I don't necessarily have the tools or the know-how to make it look quite the way I want. So it was like kind of fumbling and finding my, um, my footing in that regard. Was there any album art that you really really found yourself connected to or mesmerized by even at a younger age that sort of you think influenced you wanting to take that leap my first like conscious note of it was probably um like there was a company called asterisk studio which is now invisible creature and they've done just a bunch of amazing art like and stuff you've absolutely been around like they were they pretty much did everything for tooth and nail and they did some early poison the wells stuff um lots of others but that was some of the first things that really grabbed me and you know kind of like photo realistic collage kind of surrealist stuff and um that was sort of what i was into like when i was first getting into this you know something i guess i've never really thought about but in a way doing 
album art, because it's not specifically like one thing, you can incorporate every different kind of medium to get it to where it is. You know, like you hire photographers, you hire animators, you hire all these different or not, maybe not animators, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like mm-hmm. different styles of art to then lay out this thing. And obviously with the advancement of like, you know, different ways you can use uh, different textures and things like that, like you still get to sort of play around with every single kind of medium that you may have been attracted to when you were younger to still make an album art uh, like layout, which is something I guess I never thought about. Is that, is that ever been conscious to you? Yeah. Um, it's, I, you know, that was something that was kind of taught in our, in our schooling at Cal arts. It was like, you know, some people have kind of like a signature style, I would say. And then there's also the argument for, um, you know, what best communicates the problem. So, you know, is a, is a band with a very specific style, like is a, is a clean photograph necessarily like well representing what they do or would a painting be better? And that might vary band to band or album to album. But um, I think having a background in all those different mediums definitely informs it. Not that I do all of them myself these days, but um, I think just like having a knowledge of there being like a broad spectrum of art helps you to be able to kind of pinpoint what direction to go in. Got it. Do you enjoy the process more of collaborating with multiple artists these days? Or do you ever feel like more of a freedom just taking the whole thing on yourself? It really depends. There's definitely um, pros to both approaches. Um, there's a nice way to you know control everything um, when you do it yourself, but then you can also get in your own head a little bit too much, especially like myself. You know, I work alone. I don't have a, a studio. I collaborate with um, some people uh, frequently, more frequently than others. And then at my old studio, there was four others to kind of bounce ideas off of. Um, but there also is something about hiring someone for their skill and the thing that they do, whether that be an oil painter or a photographer. And you're saying, okay, I want photography. I want an image of this specific thing who would do that really well and who would do that well in a style that's appropriate for what's in my mind. So that can be fun. Got it. Yeah. I can only imagine. Um, you know, there's, there's something you said to me once that, that, uh, that always sort of like stuck in my head It's something I never thought about with, with what you do, which is, um, the fact that you work so much, like I can't stress to the listeners enough how, how much Nick works. I mean, when we're, when we're, when we're on tour, Nick is in the shotgun seat with his laptop open for seven hours a day on the drive. It's the whole time, um, that you once mentioned, you're like, yeah, I don't like, I don't make art on my own. Like I, like I don't, I'm not attached to it in that way. Like it's such work, you know, like it's your job. It's what you do. And I know you, I know you have obviously times where you're, you're really excited about what you're working on or whatever, but I never thought about how you to relax, don't just make art. And I'm wondering when that was that you first were conscious of that. We were like, wow, I don't ever, like, I, I rarely have the motivation or if ever to just like sit down and pull out a sketch pad and just start drawing for yourself, you know? Yeah. I, you know, I did that when I was younger, but I, I remember, I remember there was like an older girl in my art class that, you know, most, most of the kids, this is, this is like going back to childhood, but most kids, you know, copied a Van Gogh painting or, uh, you know, a, a Tweety Bird cartoon or, you know, and they learned how to do that. Right. And they learned principles of art and color through, um, replicating. And I remember there was like one older girl that was like 
doing more like interpretive artwork, which is like, you know, taking her feelings and expressing them on a canvas. And I don't know why I never really had the inkling to do that. Uh, Maybe I just, maybe I don't feel like I have my own like personal feelings that need to be like put out into the world visually. But in what I do, it's like, you know, take our relationship, for example, is, you know, I treat you like a client, even though we're in the same band and we're friends, but you know, I take your thoughts and feelings and I try and figure out a way to represent those visually. So it's more like problem solving, but it's super gratifying. And there's definitely, you know, creative um, juices flowing behind that. Um, But yeah, I don't have, I don't have like my own feelings necessarily to put out in the world, which is why I don't necessarily call myself an artist per se. I think that's like the more like the conversation you were um, referencing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's just, it's always struck me. It's, it's so interesting. Like, do you think you would have any idea what, if you were to just wake up one day and be like, I want to create something for, you know, my own satisfaction. Do you have any idea what medium you would even go for? No, like at, at this point, you know, I think this kind of goes along with being a designer, but like, I'm more interested in like the practical arts. Like, you know, I've definitely enjoyed pottery classes and I enjoy woodworking. And to Mm -hmm. me, that's like, you know, there's, there's creativity and there's problem solving and there's definitely satisfaction when you do it right. But it's more in like a, wow, this object looks good and uh, is highly functional and fulfills a purpose versus like, wow, I really got that off my chest. Right. I think it's just the way I'm programmed. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's really, really interesting. And at what point did you, cause you know, it's, I, I think it's pretty safe to say that one of the things you're most known for with your design work is, is your typography. Was there a point when you just found yourself really falling in love with creating that? Like where you're like, this is, this could be the thing that I'm not necessarily known for, but can perfect in a way. Yeah. Um, that was definitely in my second year at school. Um, so like your first year generally in art school is like called like a foundation year where you just explore a lot of different stuff and then you choose a focus. Um, Cal arts worked a little bit differently, but the first year definitely was a little more experimental. Like you were sort of pushed to, you know, try like doodling, like rough drawing and you were, and you know, more, uh, clean styles and just sort of like figure, find your footing. And I always felt like I was flailing a little bit, like, I was trying things, but not ne- nothing was really clicking. I wasn't really liking much of the stuff that I made. And I wasn't able to look at other art or design and analyze what it was that I liked about it. Um, my teacher in my second year, Mr. Keedy, he actually was known for fonts. He's a type designer. He's published a bunch of fonts that have been relatively famous, like in the 90s. And um, I felt like he sort of got what I was interested in and then sort of like shepherded me towards those types of things. And I think also because he was the type design instructor, um, because we sort of clicked a little bit, I started getting more and more into that end of things. And I was just, the type design class was in our fourth year at school, but I was like, can I take this early? Like, I want to do this now. This is so cool. Wow. Interesting. And it's funny, I guess we could tie this into, uh, some, you know, uh, not too strategic, but I guess sort of strategic way to, uh, to talk about our new record, but, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, you know, someone who's listening might, might have caught, you know, it's a conversation you and I have had for months and months now, but lament is the first record for us that features type on it, which is what you're, you know, arguably most known for. Do you think that there was ever an app apprehension to do it on our previous records because you were kind of maybe 
not being a perfectionist, but you just wanted it to be the right time, the right this, the right that? Or was it just something that never crossed your mind before because, you know, you saw a visual based on maybe our conversations that you wanted to tackle? Or do you think there was anything ever preventing you from doing it in the past? I think it's more like my brain kind of gets in like a rigid mode where I think for the first record, I was wanting to do something I don't normally do and sort of convey the like angst and that, you know, that drawing. Mm-hmm. And it didn't really seem like it needed typography. And then, you know, fast forward to Parting the Sea, our second record, I think I remember, you know, designing the cover and then also that being our first deluxe package of like, oh, you know, I'm going to make this logo a really subtle read on the actual cover, but then you get it really nice and large and foil on the deluxe. And then I think sort of once those two things were set in motion for our third record, it was like, well, none of our records really have typography on it. So that should be our thing. Mm, yeah. um, and then the seven inches by contrast are sort of like experiments in a way like they're, you know, it's only a couple songs. It's not quite as big of like a, a splash or a rollout. And I can experiment with like packaging and folds on like a smaller scale. So those sort of became like typographic exercises. And like, that's sort of how I compartmentalize my brain in a way. Got it. That makes total sense. Yeah. I've never looked at it from your point of view when it comes to art, but I, I always tell people, you know, other bands and, and whatever, when it comes to, I always encourage bands to do EPs, seven inches, cassettes, mm-hmm. whatever, just because, it, you know, it's, it's allowing you the freedom to try new things, to, to not commit to something specific because you're like it doesn't matter it's not an lp like you can put out two songs and maybe they maybe they click with people maybe they don't but it doesn't matter because people aren't going to hold that seven inch against you they're still going to listen to whatever you do next as an lp and i've never looked at that i've never thought about that i guess from from the art point of view where yeah it's like uh, arguably some of our most experimental design work that you've done is for the band has been on those seven inches um yeah, that's yeah, interesting. The, L- the LPs are more of like a grand story. It's like every, you know me, it's like every bit has to have like a meaning and a reason why it's there. Um, the seven inches don't necessarily have to be. They just need to be interactive and cool looking enough to want to have. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, to, and to convince the label that it's worth doing, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I've never had too much pushback on the seven inches for some reason. Yeah. I, Probably to our detriment. To our detriment. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um so yeah i get you know uh we could we could wrap this up with my with my uh with my usual end question which is do you remember the first time where you realized you were doing the thing that you had been working so hard towards um probably even though i had done quote-unquote commercial work while i was um in school like you mentioned those first couple releases um, when I started interning for Smog, which is the company I was at for about 12 years, um, my first job there was working on something for a Harry Potter soundtrack. Okay. And I remember just thinking like, that's crazy. Like that's, you know, just doing something for a household name and like just something of that sort of stature, um, really made it feel like this is real. Dude. Not just like a local band or someone I knew. Did it take you a while? I guess you and I have never really talked about this. Did it take you a while to get comfortable talking to representatives at larger labels uh, in a way that you could express your concerns and 
um, just sort of your, your, your creative leanings on how to, how to tackle certain things or maybe looking for, or because I can imagine at the start, like it's hard to sort of like tell them that something's maybe not working or you're not being able to do this one thing that they want, Hmm. um, to the point where now I'm sure you're a lot more comfortable sort of, you know, explaining that some things might work, some things might not. Um, like yeah, how long that, did it take for you to, to, to get comfortable in your own skin, like talking to representatives for major releases? I mean, for people listening, like if they don't know, like Nick has done records for everyone from like Britney Spears to Tom Petty to some of the hugest names. So I can only imagine the pressure of even just having a conversation when you were starting out. Yeah. Um, it, that was definitely a gradual arc as well. And again, like my, my old boss, Jerry, um, is just such a veteran in the industry that I would sort of just sort of in a, in a in not in a real sense but sort of like cower behind her and watch what she was doing um to not like speak out of turn and um not in a way like I'd get a slap on the wrist or something but just like yeah I don't feel com- I'm just started doing this I don't feel comfortable talking to a record label or a manager or whatever um but as things went by and I'd start being involved in more meetings and more like creative discussions um some people become less intimidating to talk to. Some people kind of stay just as intimidating to talk to. And it's still a little bit, you know, weird for me to speak my mind or say, Hey, like, I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, but I think as you go, you develop, you know, natural relationships. And, um, I do think like, you know, unfortunately these days we can't have much FaceTime, but, um, that really helps you kind of get more comfortable and get a read on, um, how to act and how to speak with people. I feel like I have much better, dialogue in general having met people even if the dialogue from then on is on the phone or email um just things like body language and like knowing someone's vibe really goes a long way with like can i say that or should i just hold that back and do what they're asking me oh no doubt cool well this is awesome thanks so much for uh, for talking to me i'm sure i'll talk yeah, to you in the next 30 minutes <laughs> yep <laughs> See you all right thanks so much nick bye Well, there it is. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, if you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with your friends, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review on the Apple Podcast page to help the show just kind of get more visible to other listeners. Uh, This is a new project, as I mentioned, so I'm really grateful to be able to share these conversations going forward. So anything you can do to help spread the word is a huge, huge help. Uh, Thanks again, and I'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.